Just a quick disclaimer, this episode and the next episode that will be released on New Year's Eve have been previously recorded uh, a month or two ago. Uh, Carly and I had just um, became bogged down with other work that we couldn't find the time to edit and release these as intended. This particular episode was um, supposed to be released for Halloween. So you'll notice at the beginning of the episode, we're, we're discussing Halloween. Um, besides that, though, it's a great episode and it's a movie that we both really enjoy and love. And we hope you guys enjoy listening to us talk about it. There's a speed limit in this state, Mr. Neff. 45 miles an hour. How fast was I going, officer? I'd say around 90. But what about us? Memories. You're talking about Memories. Good. Have a drink. I don't want anything of his or any part of it. Except his life. I wonder if I know what you mean. I wonder if you want to. Played it for her, played it for me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. Waiting for a lady. Someday you'll understand that. Got some news that's gonna take a lot of attention off you and Laura. Stop it, yes, I can't take any more of it! I should be in the corner. You know the story? Story. Maybe because he was drunk. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your life. Well, I'll give you the message. But there is sleep all over America. Welcome to the Speakeasy Noir Cast, a podcast discussing film noirs of yesterday and neo-noirs of today. Each week, we will deliver a discussion and analysis of classic and neo-noir films, all mixed in with our unintelligible banter. Your host for the show, Carly Street and Jason D. Morris. Well, um, are you you got are you ready for Halloween? You guys doing anything for Halloween? No, we just lock ourselves in the house. And yeah, you don't even pass out candy. And yeah. no, no, we don't. We don't open the door to people when it's not Halloween. I'm not doing it on <laughs> when people are dressed as death. <laughs> you guys don't do uh, pumpkin carving, candy. You guys don't dress at nothing. What about Lily? Um, she she does. She's doing pumpkin carving, but she's not really good with yeah stuff like that. She wants to do it, and then like halfway through it, because the eye hasn't gone right, she's like, "You want a duck?" Because she's gonna yeah. throw a pumpkin in your face, <laughs> and then little bits of it afterwards go everywhere. Yeah. That's my daughter too. Autumn's the same way. She, she gets her heart set on doing something very specific and like, she doesn't, she doesn't like the cookie cutter stuff. Like she won't do the, the pre-made designs or any of that kind of stuff. She's got to do her own thing. So like this year she was trying to do a character from uh, nightmare before Christmas, which I thought turned out all all right. I saw your video. They look really good. Yeah. She was, she was just really angry. It didn't turn out exactly the way she was. She wasn't really angry. She was just like, you know, indifferent about it i guess and then her pumpkin for some reason it it rotted like after two days it's completely like it's mush right now on the porch and i never had a pumpkin that like died that quickly it was crazy like these are these are from like an actual pumpkin patch like we picked these off the vine oh wow (laughs) kind of thing yeah and and uh after two days it was dead and there's like tons of mold and stuff inside it was like it's really crazy. I haven't seen one like that. You picked a bad Died one. that quickly before. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I didn't even pick mine off the shelf. Somebody else did. Oh, no. And she wanted to do it, so. They felt sorry for you because you didn't have any 
Halloween spirit. Listen, I've got a purple wig. I've got a purple wig <laughs> and I'm going to do streets face. And you face. must wear it. I will. And I'm going to do streets face like the Joker again because he has a new tattoo. No, 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 no. Yeah. Come on now. You guys got to gotta keep it fresh. Can't be the Joker every year. Why Let not? It's the only that. face I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Make him the crow then. It's similar but different. <laughs> okay. I'll try that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. As long as you guys have some kind of fun to celebrate the holiday. I mean, we do make a lot of horror themed stuff within our company. So I'll be disappointed if you don't uh, celebrate Halloween in some fashion. That might mean, you know, Carly's sitting around a circle of pentagrams and casting spells on her enemies. But I mean, I could totally do that if you need me to for the company. (laughs) <laughs> While our films are playing in the background. <laughs> we need to cast love spells on everybody in the world that make them love our stuff. That's what we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess uh, we should probably get into the drink for tonight. You ready for that? I am. All right. Me too. Mm. This is a, this is an interesting one because I've never, I don't, I don't drink a lot of rum. I don't, I don't know if you do, but I like it. Um, I just haven't drank a lot of it. So I'm still exploring, exploring my, uh, alcoholic, not alcoholic. <laughs> no, I think you're alcohol right. Taste buds. <laughs> <laughs> alcoholic taste buds. I'm still exploring like alcoholism. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm still exploring my taste buds as far as, uh, different alcohols. I'm, I'm kind of a creature of habit. So, um, every time Shawnee and I have been going to, uh, the bar recently, um, we have a couple that we like to hit up. So, uh, Hops Asylum, if you're out there, uh, listening, uh, we love you guys. And, um, we go there for beer. What's they usually have all the, um, Hops Asylum. What a name. Yeah, right. <laughs> that just sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's a cool little place. Um, we loved it during uh, like COVID time, like when they were kind of opening things up and you could be outside. It was really great because you could get a table and they would come to your table, take your order, just like a regular restaurant, and then bring your beer to you kind of thing. Um, and normal operation for them is you have to go to the bar like most places. And that kind of sucks because when it gets crowded, you know, it's always kind of a difficult situation. You got to like squeeze in between people and say, Hey, excuse me, guys, you know, I'm going to order <laughs> kind of thing. Or take um, them from behind and then move the opposite way that they look. <laughs> well, this is not the UK. All right. You guys are pretty rowdy over there as far as bars. <laughs> like, Listen, it's there's occasional bar fights out here. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, so that kind of sucks, but you know, they're not, they're, they're usually busy on like the, you know, staple days, like Friday and Saturday. Um, but during the week we like to go on like, you know, off days cause you know, you can sit at the bar with like not a whole lot of people. Um, but they're great for like local beer, um, and different types of beers, you know, like you and street probably wouldn't be happy there because they don't serve Budweiser. Oh. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> or Coors Light or anything. Okay. Um, but they have some really great stuff and they have like, they've got like sour beers and they've got like a bunch of IPAs and See, just different stuff like that. that. Yeah, probably because he might have good taste. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just be no pulling the face going, well, they, this is disappointing. <laughs> You're like, give me the water that makes you drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but they have some really cool like beers that are like in the like 10 to 15% alcohol. Kind of, so like you get, we just go and we do these tasters. So you get like a flight of beers and like, you know, I think it's like four or six. I can't remember. Um, and uh, so you can sample all the different beers for like a couple bucks each, right? Oh, cool. But if you get all the ones that are like super high alcohol content, like I do, like you are floored after one flight, <laughs> like you're drinking the content of like the, the amount, the volume of like one full beer, but each one of them have like 15% alcohol in it. So it's like, you're, you're, you're doing pretty good after one flight. God, and then they also have like, uh, yeah, it's not bad. It really isn't, but we tip really well, or at least we think we do. <laughs> We try to <laughs> take the wallet. No, no. It's like, it's just one of those things. Like, cause we, we always try to like, especially when we go to like a bar, we try to tip really well. Cause you know, there's more attentive and they want to help you. Cause they, I, I don't want to, you know, they, they want the tip basically, but, but it's more than that because you, because of that, you know, you're not a cheapskate. They get to know you and that kind of thing. And that's really cool. And, um, it just makes for a better experience all over. Um, so we might, if our, if our tab is like 20 bucks, we'll also tip 20 bucks, you know, kind of thing. Um, we, we try to tip really well. Oh, cool. I so want to serve you still, guys drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you would do well. You might drink all of our drinks before it gets to the table. Listen, I'm but quality, still tip quality you. control. You're not <laughs> having control. anything that e isn't e high quality. You mean equality. <laughs> equality control. <laughs> 50% for you, 50% for me. <laughs> and I'll for take that wallet, tip. please. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Hops Asylum is one place that we like to go. Um, there's another place called Wine and Grain, which is where we go for like a wine bar, uh, oh. which is more of like a, it's, it's okay. I think Shawnee likes it more than I do. It's not a bad place at all. It's just more of a kind of, uh, what do you call it? A posh place? A posh um, place. Snoot. Yeah. I call it snooty, but whatever. Um, it's just where people are attempting to try to be more formal and more upscale than they really are. Cause I mean, you know, it's just Antioch and Brentwood um, people, you know, but ah. it's a little more on the nicer side of things. And that's where we kind of get our wine um, from. They also have beer, but they do wine flights as well. And that's kind of what we do. Um, yeah. So anyways, and then like we have like the dive bar kind of places that we don't, we don't really, I don't know. We don't really hit a whole lot of dive bars, honestly. Um, I'm not sure why. There's not a whole lot of uh, good ones around here, I guess. Um, but we'll hit up like a, we have a place called um, Buffalo Wild Wings where we don't typically eat the food because it always makes us sick. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys eat like uh, uh, chicken wings out there. Yeah. Street for whatever dogs. reason, it's yeah, it's it's super big out here, uh, you know, for like the sports people and like sports bars and stuff like that. Um, but uh, we yeah, every time we eat the food, we don't, we're just not doing well. <laughs> But we go there, the beers are, are pretty inexpensive and we'll go there if it's late night because they're open to like, you know, later than most places. Anyway, enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the history what are, what are the, <laughs> Right. Seriously, like, it can be two, three times a week sometimes. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. But uh, so what, what are the, what are the local uh, haunts for you guys? Well, we can't really drink many places because when we own the pub, we barred that many people that it's kind of like tumbleweed town if you work into certain places. So we don't go oh, yeah. anywhere in the town centre. We go to, oh. uh, there's a pub, The Rising Sun, which is just down the road oh, from work. So naturally, yeah. 
if if I'm concerned about the walk or the petrol situation, we will have to just stop in there and just reassess, oh, yeah. you know, have a meeting. And okay. then usually other people That's... may turn up to join the meeting. Nice. Yep. Um, and then we have one down the road from us that just opened just before COVID called The Bridge Inn. What a riot place that is. It's cracking. You get all the old boys in there. <laughs> Honestly, you get all the old boys in there. Cheap as chips, nice beer, just a proper, just proper old-fashioned English pub. Pool dogs. Nice. No karaoke, thank Christ. <laughs> so you, Not a fan of karaoke, huh? Oh, I hate it. I hate it. I hate walking into a pub and then just as you've ordered your drink, someone starts wailing. Oh, Christ. I've um, had the time of my yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrible. And, uh, uh, yeah. So now that you've said that, though, when you come back out to America, we're going to a karaoke. <laughs> Can I just because that are singing? <laughs> no, no, because I'm going to I'm going to force you to get up on stage is what I'm going to do. What about just near the feet, you know, so they go away? No, uh-uh. no, no, no. You're going to sing. That's what I'm, I'm trying not. to tell you. I'm gonna, yeah, because I'm going to get you drunk and street drunk and then you guys are going to sing. That's that's, that's the one thing that there is never enough beer for. I will pass out. I will go into a coma before that happens. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I think we'll make it work. That would be our next horror film. Just me singing for an hour and a half. That'd summon the freaking spirits on Halloween. <laughs> you know, that kind of reminds me. I was helping um, a friend that produced a movie that I did called Story of Eva, and she had previously produced a movie called Karaoke Man. No, <laughs> don't like it already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's got some uh, notable cast members. I think Zach, Zachary Levi is in it, um, and, and part of it anyway. Uh, guy from Chuck and plays Shazam now. Um, but uh, yeah, it's called Karaoke Man. So they kind of messed up, though, because they... They shot this entire movie and had all of these songs that they had people sing. But what they didn't think about was getting the rights to the songs. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And I feel really bad for them. I do. Because I, I, I get the mistake. Like, if you just don't understand copyright or any of that stuff, I guess they just felt like they could do it afterwards. But <laughs> they <it> couldn't. <laughs> because music can be extremely expensive to license. And they weren't like, you know, it wasn't like just playing a song, you know, that was previously recorded. They were, they were redoing it because they were doing karaoke in it. Right. So it was other people. That's a whole different like set of rights that you have to acquire. And they basically couldn't get any of the rights. It was just too cost prohibitive. And they spent like $300,000 on this movie. <gasps> See, karaoke um, is the devil. Right. It was for them. So they recut the movie and they cut out all of the karaoke songs. So like, what is it now? They would never... <laughs> right. <laughs> I watched it. It's not a terrible movie, but it's just like an oddity because there's no karaoke in the movie. <laughs> there's no... It's, it's so hilarious. That's like somebody will get up on stage and about saying cut to another scene. <laughs> it's... I mean, I would think I would have at least went back and reshot those scenes. Yeah. You know, and like, I don't know, got original music or something. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so speaking of karaoke. 
Oh man, I bet they shoot people in a karaoke bar. Side of that microphone, pal. <laughs> yeah, they've got karaoke PTSD, I think, at this point. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Tonight's drink. Uh, if you guys are ready for this, this is called the serial killer. Oh, nice. Ooh, yeah. And it's served in our favorite glass, the highball. And the serial killer consists of six ingredients. It has, it is an ounce of Malibu rum, one ounce of spiced rum, one ounce of light rum, a lot of rum here, (laughs) two and a half ounces of orange juice, two and a half ounces of pineapple juice, and three quarter ounce of grenadine. I'm not even sure how to measure like a three quarter (laughs) Yeah. ounce of grenadine. Do they have shot glasses for three quarters? There's probably like a line inside like the profession because you know like the professional shot glass measurer thingies. I think I just <laughs> eyeball it killing people. Like maybe that's why it's called a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, because you, <laughs> your one ounce is probably like three ounces and you know, everybody else is I'm a little different. I'm starting glass so straight away. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, okay, so (laughs) it's basically three ounces of rum of different variations. It's uh, five ounces of uh, juice, orange and pineapple, and a three-quarter ounce of grenadine. I think grenadine is probably just there for the color. (laughs) Um, And that's our squashed bugs, for those that remember from our earlier podcast where Street explained to us what grenadine is made of. And uh, the preparation is, um, yeah, you're going to put it in one of those little, um, what do you call it? The mixer thingers. <laughs> <laughs> I've already forgotten <laughs> the, 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 the metal, the metal shaker. You put it in a shaker. I think that's what they call it. I can't, I, like, I, I can't help because all I've got in my head is just Tom Cruise just shaking a metal thing. Sorry. <laughs> in cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That movie was so big at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, you put all your, your ingredients into shaker uh, and you shake it well over ice and you shake it till the ice sounds different. And then you're gonna strain it in, into an ice-filled highball glass. And from there, you enjoy your cereal killer. I don't think there's any uh, garnishes or anything on this, but I have a feeling that somebody probably would uh, throw in like a slice of orange or maybe a pineapple on a stick or something. <laughs> I could see that happening. Um, but yeah, this sounds like a pretty sweet drink. Um, and, but that's, I mean, Jesus, three ounces of, you know, alcohol in it is, is pretty hefty for for a single drink. So that's that's pretty, I can see why it's called serial killer. Um, that's what we're having tonight, folks. Uh, so go ahead and make your serial killer and uh, sit back and sip on it while uh, we watch tonight's trailer. Thank you. 
transporting a prisoner here. But the roads are all flooded and I can use a room. I don't think we can get out tonight. I'm not staying here. Are you out of your mind? There's no place else to go. That was the trailer for Identity. Identity is a 2003 American neo-noir slasher film. Yeah, that's right. A neo-noir slasher. And it's directed by James Mangold. Uh, The screenplay was written by Michael Cooney and Mangold as well. Um, And it came from uh, an idea from Cooney's original story. Uh, The film has a stacked cast. I mean, I love the cast in this film. There's a few people I hadn't seen before, but there are some pretty heavy hitters in this film. Um, And it stars John Cusack as Ed Dakota, who's just a limousine driver. Um, But he used to be a Los Angeles police officer. Or is he? Or is anybody anything in this film? That's the big (laughs) question. the infamous Ray Liotta uh, as Samuel Rhodes, who I don't want to ruin it just yet as the way he plays, but he um, he starts out uh, as as an actual police officer at the beginning of this film uh, as to where John Cusack was a former police officer. So they got a lot to talk about. Um, then we got Amanda Peet, um, who plays Paris, Nevada. And we discover... Um, that she's a prostitute trying to get out of Las Vegas. Um, then there is the hotel manager, uh, who was played by John Hawks, which a lot of people might not know his name, but he shows up in a lot of stuff and he's always great. Like he's a, he's just a solid, I don't want to call him a character actor because I don't, I mean, they give him character roles, but he's just a pretty solid character. I mean, a pretty solid actor. I think he's he's just great. And then my, uh, I, I don't know what it is about this woman, but I have loved her from the first moment that I saw her. I think the first time that I saw her was in a uh, low-budget horror film uh, from Full Moon. I think it was called Arcade. Might have been the name of it. Um, but Clea Duvall. I think she's awesome. I just, I freaking love this girl. Uh, she was in... Um, John Carpenter's uh, um, 
Yeah, she's in faculty. Yeah. Yep. Um, Ghosts of Mars from John Carpenter. She's, she's in, she's just, she's great, man. I just, I love Clea Duvall. Um, not related to, um, um, shit. What's his name? The more famous actor, uh, Robert Duvall. Is that his name? Okay. Yeah. Not related. Um, she's got a pretty good history though. Uh, she came up in the industry all on her, all on her own, uh, from nowhere, you know? Um, but, uh, She's, she's just great. I really love her. Um, then we have Rebecca DeMornay, uh, who plays Caroline Susan, uh, uh, a twofer, uh, first, first name and first name for last name. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she plays a eighties Hollywood TV actress. Um, I, I don't know if she, she's supposed to be a has been actress or like, I'm not really sure. What the, yeah, right. That's that was what was a little um, strange to me, or at least she's like portraying um, that she's still got money, but she seems to. She seems to be has some clout, you know. Hmm. Um, but uh, she is being chauffeured by the John Cusack character, uh, who seems to be exceedingly annoyed by her, <laughs> although he's very kind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, John Cusack is a very kind. If you want a chauffeur driver, he's the guy for you. I mean, honestly. Like, um, and then we have uh, this guy when he shows, I, he is such a goofball, but damn, is he a tour de force of an actor? John C. McGinley, this guy, I feel like he could play anything, you know, but I I feel like I do too. And I don't know why, like, I can't figure it out. Like everything he's in, I just like, he's like the star. But he's can be so goofy. <laughs> like, I I feel like if he came in for like an audition, I'd be like, "What? No, no, no. This no, sorry." <laughs> but but I feel like it, just him. He could he could like when I watch him in anything, it's like he just nails it. Like every time, he's just so consistent. Um, even in the silly roles that he does, or uh, what was that TV show Scrubs? He was in Scrubs, like yeah. he could on a dime. Yeah. He could on a dime, just go from like this, like ridiculous comedy to like some heartfelt seriousness, seriousness, <laughs> seriousness. Seriousness is going on. Uh, sorry. My, my serial killer is getting to me now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could just, he just can flip it so quickly and be like, Oh my God, he's so good. Um, and there's, and it, the list continues. I mean, this, this is such a stacked cast. It's like, Ah, so great. Um, Jake Busey, um, who is a, a favorite of mine from uh, The Frighteners. Yeah. Which I just love that movie. Him and Michael J. Fox are just amazing in that film. Um, there, there's a lot of people in that film as well that are just great. Um, and then another personal favorite, like I think that this guy is an amazing actor. Um, I don't, I think he's so underrated. I mean, people really need to like recognize him more. And he goes back in the industry like decades. Um, the first time I saw him was in Jacob's ladder. Um, and he has these eyes that are so intense that when they, I they just, I think they use them just to cut away to his reaction shots, but he's a really great actor um and his name is pruitt taylor vince um and james mangold the director of identity worked with him previously and one of one of my i would say this is easily in my top 10 list of films um it was a film called heavy that starred pruitt taylor vince and uh Liv tyler 
Um, and if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's just such a, such a fantastic film and it's written directed by James Manville. Um, but, uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince is just, I mean, he shines in this film. Um, you know, as to where most films will, or directors or casting, whatever, will put him in like a character actor role. Um, this is just, it was just such a fantastic movie for him. Um, he also showed up in the, uh, the mentalist, um, where he, he was damn good in that. Like he didn't speak a lot, <laughs> but that face and those eyes like spoke like I don't those know, eyeballs was, did all the work. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wish they had done like a spinoff with him, you know, what, just in, him and in, his eyeballs. In that show. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, he'd be intense, man, <laughs> but I love him. And then Alfred Molina, you know, as you know, he's from, uh, uh, first showed up in Indiana Jones, um, and has gone on to do a lot of work, uh, might be reprising his role as uh, Dr. Octopus, uh, in the Marvel universe. Uh, we have Frederick Coffin. Um, he's another character actor. Uh, it's been on a lot of stuff. And um, sadly enough, he passed away shortly after the film was made. Um, and Identity was his final movie. Uh, he did show up a lot in, in television. Uh, he was he was in Murder, She Wrote, I believe, um, as well as many, many other things. Um, Carmen Argenziano, <laughs> who you might recognize. Um, Stargate, Stargate, Stargate. Sh shows up stuff. Stargate, okay, there you go. <laughs> it's in a lot of stuff. <laughs> Several of these people are, are have worked together previously, like in uh, Starship Troopers and just different things. Um, uh, Matt Latcher, I can't pronounce some of these people's names, which is par for the course for me, as you folks know. <laughs> Uh, and then another uh, favorite of mine, um, uh, Marshall Bell, who was also in Starship Troopers, but uh, he was also played an amazing character and role in the TV show Millennium. Uh, I believe it was the second episode uh, called The Judge, um, which he played the judge. And he basically was, if I remember correctly, he was hunting down serial killers and feeding them to his pigs. Nice. Um yeah, it's just, it's a great, strange episode um, of television. So if you can find the TV show Millennium anywhere, uh, it's made by Chris Carter from the X-Files. And um, Marshall Bell plays, I believe it's the second episode of the first se season, uh, The Judge. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing episode. Um, so anyway, there you go. That's That's a huge... Huge cast, especially for the time that this movie came out in uh, 2003. Um, every, you know, all of these people were really in their prime and working a lot. Um, and this movie wasn't a huge film. Um, it was only, I believe, $28 million budget on this film. Um, shot in one location. And it's actually shot in a location which Carly and... I have been looking for uh, shooting uh, room 19 at. Um, and so we actually know how much this location costs to shoot at. <laughs> but <laughs> <Spoiler alert. laughs> it, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic location that shows up in a lot of TV shows and movies. Um, and they use it very well in this film. I mean, it's like they use every aspect of this location in this movie. I, I, I'm not sure if any of this is studio 
shot, but it looks like it's all shot on this one location. Um, and I, I would almost bet that that's pretty much the case. But let's see here. I want to go through before we get into the movie. I had so much to talk about with this film. So I'm sorry if this ends up being like a super long episode for people, but it's such a great movie. Um, I want to go through and I'm going to read you a couple reviews for the movie because it, it wasn't universally loved when it first came out. It, it wasn't panned, but people just didn't get it was it, sort of like, I, I don't know if it was really the audience because it did, actually did well at the box office uh, at the time. Um, by, I guess today's standards, it probably wasn't great opening weekend, but at the time that was pretty, I'd say normal for a thriller, which this probably would have been marketed as. Mm. Um, but it was, it seemed like it was sort of a split on the review sides of, uh, you know, uh, film critics. Um, however, um, there's a few notable ones, which I really I really enjoy and I think really speak to the film quite well. Um, and Roger Ebert, uh, when he reviewed the film, when it released, he gave it uh, three stars out of four. And he said, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of movies that are intriguing for the first two acts and then go on autopilot with a formula ending. Identity is a rarity. A movie that seems to be in autopilot for the first two acts and then reveals that it was not with a third act that causes us to rethink everything that goes on before. Ingenious. How simple and yet how devious the solution is. And I think that is such a perfect review of this film. That um, if that doesn't make you want to watch it, then it's just not the movie for you. Um, and then Mick, uh, Mick LaSalle of uh, San Francisco Gate uh, says, at first, identity seems like nothing more than a pleasing and blatant homage or ripoff to the Agatha Christie style thriller where Maroon guests realize that a murderer is in the midst. We've seen it before. Yet make no mistake, identity is more than an entertaining thriller. It's a highly original one. And those I, I, I don't think I can say it better or anybody else really like those two reviews right there really speak to this movie. And I think really kind of give you a sense of what you're in for because it is very, I would say it, it's definitely like, and then there was one, you know, the 10 little Indians, um, uh, Agatha Christie kind of story. It's very much in that vein, but it's very much not mm. at the same time. Um, so I think that those were, were really fantastic reviews and we don't really, um, talk about reviews too much on the show other than whether people liked it or not. Um, but for some reason I just felt the need to kind of lay that out because it's, this movie is like, I mean, 2003, what is that? You know, it's, it's going on 20 years now. Um, and people need to rediscover this movie because it's so well made and just the look and the style of it, it hasn't aged at all. It, in my it opinion, really doesn't my... look like a 20 year old movie. No, not at all. Like I really honestly feel like this could come out at the theater today and it looks like a movie made today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so identity, speaking of the box office, um, as we were identity went on to gross 52.1 million, uh, in the United States and 38.1 million 
uh, sorry, 52.1 million in the United States and Canada, North America, basically, and 38.1 million overseas. So it was about 90 million worldwide, which was very solid for a, a thriller film with a $28 million budget. I mean, that's like, I'm surprised that they weren't trying to make sequels to this um, or even like straight to video sequels or something. I mean, I feel like this could have been Cusack's John Wick or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> But John but obviously just going around solving mentally. Yeah, <laughs> right. I just I feel like, right. But then once you get to the end of the movie, you're like, okay, that's just not possible. How could they ever make a sequel to this? Wait, wait, if it wasn't cop years, they could have done like Ed. Yeah, cop, prequel. You know, the dark could have side like of a LA. Of prequels. Yeah, sure. No, it's absolutely like, you know, that that's that's an excellent way they could have done this. They could have done a pre. This is like the end of the series. Right. Somebody and they could have went back. Yeah. On Twitter. Right. Let him know. (laughs) James Mangold is there because he's such an excellent director. Tweet Uh, him as well. (laughs) They could have. Yeah, they could have went back and they could have taken uh, Taylor Vince's character and shown us from the beginning. Like, when did all this happen? And, you know, and all these characters could still be involved or different ones. Maybe he's developed different ones over there. Like, who knows? Like, there there definitely is a lot of story that could be told just based off of this movie. Like, there's so many solid characters in this film. Do you know which one I'd um, like to see the most? The crime I would love spree. to. Yeah, tell me. The crime spree of uh, the Ray cr- and the other dude. The two criminals. Uh, like, what, what? But what about you? Just want to see like them, like their what, their original story, like what they did. Yeah, because I think that would be quite. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. I know. I agree because they're fucking nuts, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're both just so nuts that, like, yeah, those those would be super entertaining. <laughs> I mean, it would. Be, I feel like I feel like if you look at, um. Busey's character in uh, The Frighteners, I feel like that's him still. Yeah. Like that's his character in this movie. Like, <laughs> like that's him after he dies in this movie. Yeah. Right? Goes off to scare Michael I got me a score of 13. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> like I, I feel like some there's there's a universe where these two movies are connected. <laughs> yeah. Like, like there could be a series of Frighteners movies that deal with each one of their ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there, there's, yeah, I, I feel like that, that could definitely happen. We could have prequels and we could also have sequels as ghosts. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it did, it did really well at the box office. It wasn't, it didn't fail by any means. Um, and it's, it's not a film that was ever, I think, on the mass public's mind, but it has garnered a pretty heavy following over the years, which is great. It just needs a much bigger one. Cause I don't ever hear anybody talking about it. Um, oh. but every time that I mention it, everybody is like, Oh, that was a great movie. Like it was never like, Oh yeah, I seen that. It's like, Oh yeah, that was really good. Um, and that's, I, I think that that's amazing i think this is like one of those movies that if enough people see it it'll be one of those films that stays around like this is such a hitchcockian kind of thriller that um i mean it deserves to have that sort of notoriety i think because i mean if you look back at movies like psycho 
um, I mean, it's such a small film, right? It takes place in one location virtually. Um, and it's the same sort of like master storytelling, I think. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't seen identity or even if you have get it out there more like tell people about it or watch it again, like post about it on your socials, that kind of thing. Tweet John um, and then maybe they'll give us, yeah, maybe they'll give us some money for promoting it. Yeah. Let him know we've got an idea. <laughs> the Noir Chronicles. Right. <laughs> Identity's black <laughs> Right. Now I want to talk a minute about James Mangold, the director of this film and, and co-screenwriter. Um, He's, he hasn't done a massive amount of work, but the work he's done has been pretty amazing. Um, there's some, there's some hit or misses, but the ones that are hits are like really good hits, right? So he wrote Oliver and company. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but he wrote that and that's where he kind of started from. Um, and then from there, he wrote one of my personal favorites, Heavy, in 95. Uh, he wrote and directed it. And then it just got better. Then he did Copland, if you guys have seen that. Um, it's just a fantastic, low-key uh, film. Um, he went on and did Girl Interrupted, also wrote oh. and directed. And I think that um, uh, that's a, did, did Angelina Jolie, I think, maybe won an Academy Award or yeah, was nominated. Did, or, yeah, yeah. Best, best okay. uh, supporting actress, wasn't it? I think something like that. Yeah, if I remember correctly. Um, that was kind of a crazy movie too. That was that was interesting. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah. Kate and Leopold, which I think was kind of popular at the time, but I never, I don't think I've seen it. Um, and from there he went on to do Identity, which is amazing. Um, then I think another Academy Award winner, uh, Walk the Line which I think uh, oh, Reese wow. Witherspoon might have won the Academy Award or was nominated or something like that. Yeah. Um, 310 The Yuma, which was also very popular at the time. Uh, and then the I would not watch this movie, I don't think, but Night and Day, <laughs> which God. I think was, if I remember correctly, was this uh, Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, maybe? Yeah. Am I, is that, do I have the right film? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, if that if it's that film, I, I was like, oh. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it was just a good paycheck. Uh, he just directed it, didn't write it. Uh, Disconnect is really good. Have you seen that? I haven't. I don't. It's really I don't even good. know this movie. Mm, I'll have to look that up. Thank you. You'll realize why I watched it um, in two seconds. Oh my gosh! Let me guess. It's got Guy Pearce in it. <laughs> no, no, you're wrong. No, he's not in this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't I know it's Excuse surprising. me, my serial killer is getting to me. <laughs> <laughs> I swallowed the serial killer wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, he then went on. <clears throat> excuse me while I die. <clears throat> um, he went on to uh, direct uh, The Wolverine, which wasn't... Great, I guess, in my opinion, I, I, I expected a lot more, mm-hmm. but I don't really think it was the direction. Like there was, I think it was just a bad script in my opinion, but he followed that up with an amazing film, uh, a Wolverine film called Logan, which this one he wrote and directed. Um, and that I think is just a God, what a fantastic 
neo-noir superhero film. I mean, it's not really a superhero film to me. Like, I don't like no. this. This one came out of nowhere to me. I, this is just a really fucking great movie. Um, he did the character service in that. And it's just a well-made f- film. Uh, the Greatest Showman uh, came out, I think, around the same year. Um, I haven't seen that, but he didn't direct it or, or write it. Um, he just executive produced it. But that was a pretty big film. I don't know if it did well or not, but... It's bloody um, good. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then one that you probably would love, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, which I know did well. I was well. just looking at that one. Yeah. I think that was also um, nominated for Academy Award or... I don't, I don't think it won, but, um, and that one he directed, but didn't write, uh, and then another miss, which this one was really disappointing. I was pretty excited about this. My, my son, uh, you know, really loved the book. Um, he's read it a few times and I, I read it when I was a kid. Um, and I've seen the original movie and all that kind of stuff, but I was in, and Harrison Ford starred in it. So I'm a big Harrison Ford fan. Uh, but the call of the wild and it was so terrible. Like it wasn't like a bad script or anything, but the CGI was so bad that you just couldn't like, for me, I just could not connect to the dog. I could not connect to the story at all, but um, that was pretty disappointing to me, but thankfully he didn't direct or write it either. He just helped produce it or executive produce it. What a world we're in when poor Harrison Ford, his age, has to pretend to, like, interact with a dog that's not there. Yeah, you know, I I feel like they could have very easily had a real dog on set for a lot of the movie and then maybe used CGI for, you know, the stunts and things like that. But it was just so animated looking like they, I just feel like they just rushed it either out, which is weird because they, they should have taken the opportunity over COVID to finish it properly because, you know, all those people could work from home for the most part, I think anyway, um, to finish that off and then, uh, and then release it, you know, when theaters moved, you know, open back up and it probably would have been better off. But I think with what they had, it probably didn't test well. So they're like, oh, let's just cut our losses, push it out. But it wasn't like it wasn't heavily promoted because they, they did a lot of promotion. But it just it just did not turn out well, unfortunately. <clears throat> um, and then next up, one I'm really excited about just because I think that Mangle is, is a really good director. Um, and he's previously worked with Harrison Ford. Um, is the new Indiana Jones movie, which he's slated to direct. And I, I believe he's either written the script or co-wrote it. I, I, I'm not really sure, but they're filming right now. And I think maybe it's still shut down because I think Harrison Ford like broke his ankle or something like that. I can't really Harrison recall. Harrison Ford injured himself. Maybe they're... You do surprise me. Yeah, yeah, he did. I believe he did, yeah. Um <clears throat> Which I don't think that's the first time he's injured himself on a set. I think he also hurt himself on Star Wars, too. I know, I was being um, sarcastic. I can't remember. He's been in two places. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. Yeah. He's like the six million yeah, I don't dog know. man. <laughs> right. In fact, that could be his bloody next role. We'll rebuild Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just coming out with that's great ideas today. Idea. 
Um, yeah, so, uh, this, this guy's got a good list of, of films that he has directed and written. And, um, this is one of, one of the lower key films. Um, I, I would fit this in kind of with, uh, Copland in terms of like the low keyness of it. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's so solid and the atmosphere and the characters and the story, it's just a fantastic script and just well well-balanced film altogether. And it's a complicated, like, I know, I know the story. If you look at it in the big picture, it's so simple, but if you sort of dig in from a directorial standpoint, it would be so complicated to handle this in my opinion. Like, I don't, I don't know that I could do this film. Like I'm pretty sure I would screw it up. There's a lot to, there's a lot to grasp, like with this many characters um, I think, and, and also it, being in a single location with this many characters and this type of story, because there's really, there's so many stories going on within this film. Hmm. It's not like he's telling one movie, he's telling many movies. Um, and that's just the brilliance of the script, I think. <clears throat> so with that said, and all my rambling, and we're probably like two hours into the podcast already, <laughs> Um, let's talk about the movie. <laughs> the movie starts off my, with my uh, synopsis. Oh, oh my god! How do I forget this every damn time? Absolute monster! You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired because I keep screwing up. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to go and get a job with John Cusack on his new show. I god heard it's really it. good. You need, it's to, about you need to just. <laughs> You need to interrupt me occasionally and be like, hey, shut up. Time for In a Nutshell. <laughs> so here we go, folks. I know you've been waiting like half an hour to hear Carly's synopsis of this film. I've probably given away too much already, but it needs to be said here. So Carly, um, maybe I could cut this. So maybe we just edit this out. Or maybe I'll I just mean, keep in this that, talk about me talking about great. editing it. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's going to be really, great, so damn it, because we watched too. a great film. We are. We're, we're, it's going to be great. And if it's not great, then you're fired again in the same podcast. Oh. You're fired twice. No. Oh, cool. Um, oh, this right. is like The Apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think maybe I'll just cut all that and I'll put it before. Oh. So before we get into tonight's movie, um, no, let's see. How would we do this? Let's see. <laughs> we talked about... <laughs> I gotta we figure have this all out. Of this we... stays in the podcast because it's just like a all right. Screw it. I'll keep it. <laughs> this is why you couldn't I'll handle identity. We'll just... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to pronounce any of their names. You in this film? All right. All right. So we'll we'll keep all that just for Carly, and and we'll we'll have her do her. Synopsis in a nutshell. Here we go. And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. A That's your cue, Carly. Ah, oh, damn it! I stepped on your toe. All right, here we go again. Carly needs a good thirty seconds of silence before she can get into it. <laughs> All right, here we go again. <laughs> All right, Carly's in a nutshell synopsis. 
And now it's time for Carly's super famous in a nutshell synopsis. A murder mystery evening in your head. Do you like it? I've also got set, set in the unluckiest motel in the world and featuring a cast of the most unhappy people you're ever likely to meet. <laughs> That's not bad, but I would say the El Royale might be the most unluckiest hotel in the world. I don't know. Which, I mean... I, I think so. <laughs> That's another one that I really enjoyed. And I wasn't sure I was going to, but it, it feels a lot like this movie and tone and atmosphere. Um, even though it's a little more outlandish in certain points. Um, but uh, if you haven't seen the El Royale, I would suggest you see that as well. I think this is a two a very good, solid, like double feature um, identity in El Royale. <clears throat> but anyway, I guess that was that's so short and sweet. Yep. That's it's really perfect. Like it makes a lot of sense. I guess because I, I like the movie so much, I wanted it to be longer. <laughs> um, and I know I spoke earlier about um, this being uh, like Agatha Christie's um, story, and then there were none. Um, and I know it's it's you know loosely based on it, um, but again, like I feel like the movie really flips it on its head. Like it is, this is not a straightforward uh, serial killer film or revenge film, or really it's not a serial killer film at all. No. And, and that's the brilliance of it. it. This is a, this is a psychological drama that's told through the lens of a murder mystery. Um, and, so we get some insight, but it's so brilliantly written and done. You don't really understand it, but it tells you everything in the first like 10 seconds of the movie or 20 seconds of the movie, whatever the intro takes. Um, you know, it might be like a, a minute or something uh, where we're hearing uh, Pruitt Taylor Vance, Vince and, uh, and, and Alfred Molina's character speak over like audio recordings and, uh, oh, the little you know, Alfred Molina's character is taking some notes. Yeah. And, and newspaper clippings and things like that. Like we, it's really setting you up. And I think it, that, that might've been a huge draw with the trailer at the time, like with marketing, like what a, what a great marketing campaign they must've had for this. Right. Because you can market this as this like intense, you know, murder mystery thriller. Um, kind of film because I mean, you know, the, the meat of it really is, but in reality, it's something completely different, you know, and they really set it up well at the beginning of this film. Um, and there's a, there's sort of a strange kind of dynamic here with this stay of execution, um, that happens at the beginning of the movie. Um, where there's a sort of, uh, I can't remember what you call it, but that's that sort of like, you have to get that phone call from the judge or the governor or the mayor. I can't remember like who exactly it is, but you got to be able to have that person on board to stop an execution, to get a stay of execution, to have a, uh, a, a, uh, I guess you would call it a, 
uh, a court case of some sort. Like a, you have to do a a new sort of like presenting of evidence, so to speak, so this person doesn't get you know executed. Which never works. Um, and well that's where this film. Right. <laughs> like they did. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and, and it, yeah, it didn't, did not work out really, but um, that's kind of the basis for the film right here. Right. So they're getting a stay of execution for this serial killer and they're bringing him somewhere and they're going to interview him. They're going to figure out like why, um, you know, he shouldn't be killed. And so I believe this is presented, I guess, in a way where we're in, I don't know, it, I, I can't really recall. Like, is it like we, it feels like we're going into a flashback or just cutting to a new story, you it's know? A new story, isn't it? Because, yeah, it's like, it, it really feels like, it's not anything that really matters, honestly. You get so engrossed with what comes after that when you cut back to things of um, Pruitt Taylor, Vince's character, Malcolm, uh, telling his stories, like you, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> you know? No. And if you, if you step back and you kind of look at it, you're like, well, that, that didn't really make sense. Did it? Of course yeah. it makes sense in the end. At the time, but, I kind of assume that like, it's something to do with the criminal that the cops got or like the story of how he came there or something like that is where it leads you to believe. The Ray Liotta character. Yeah. 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 No, I agree that, that, that it feels like there's something it's leading to something that involves the Malcolm Rivers character. Yeah. Yes. But it never does. Well, it does, but not in the way that anybody thinks that it does because, you know, his, his, his self doesn't interact or ever meet any of these characters in in any way that you think that they would. <laughs> I'm trying, I really, I'm trying not to ruin this movie. Like if nobody has seen this film, I mean, it's 20 years old. So I feel like we should just be able to talk freely about it, but it's such a great film. It's like, if you give the way, if you give away the end of the sixth sense to somebody, you know, you, you, you might as well get murdered because that's just wrong, but everybody should have seen it by now kind of thing. But yeah. I realized that there's people that are born after me and might not have seen it. <laughs> how dare they? Right. How, how dare you be born after 2003 or, you know, whatever. Uh, um, you know, I don't know. I, I hope people go back and watch this film and they can, you know, I don't want to tell the ending, Carly. Well, You're going to help me not tell the ending of the movie. Now, and then it's people's own faults. Jason can't not yeah. spoil the film for much longer. Right. But then they might not listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, there we go. well, then they suck anyway, so. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so as, as we cut to a seemingly side story, new story, or story involving why this stay of execution is happening, uh, we start to be introduced to this extremely moody, atmospheric place, which is a roadside motel. And it's pouring down rain, and it never stops raining in this movie. It's, it's so foreboding and um, so atmospheric and beautifully shot. Um, the DP just did a fantastic job on this film, I think, um, from the, 
I wouldn't say muted colors, but very noir pressed blacks, um, rainy atmosphere. Like all of it, it just, it feels fantastic. I really love this is, this is my kind of film. Um, we start to be introduced to all of these characters. These, all these characters end up showing up at this roadside motel for one reason or another, to get out of the rain, they had a flat tire, they gotten lost. I really uh, like how they affect getting, another though. You know, like with the shoe. Oh yeah. And then it yeah, goes it's Paris. all so connected. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you know, that's, that's such a brilliant, it, it could come off as like sort of cheesy in a way if they had just, did that but because of what happens in the end of this movie it's such an ingenious way of connecting everything and, and it makes complete sense as to why um those elements connected like it wasn't just there just to be there um i guess in a way it is just there to be there but it makes more sense uh that things like that are connected yeah. Uh, once you get to the end of the film and they're just little things that don't really matter, like, you know, overall, but, um, it, it, in reality that, you know, they would be connected. It makes a lot of sense. Just really fantastic writing. Um, <clears throat> so we're introduced to all these crazy characters that are just going through some shit, you know, the, the hotel desk manager, uh, we have the, the wife of John C. McGinley's, uh, uh, his, his wife, um, gets hit, uh, by, I can't remember which character it was, Ed. but anyway, Ed. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's right. The limo hits, hits her. So she's down for the count for most of the movie. <laughs> um, what a good job she and, had. uh, right. <laughs> I down looked at, okay. <laughs> Yeah. We've got the warring boyfriend and girlfriend, the Clay Duvall character and her boyfriend and the prostitute shows up and, you know, the eighties movie star shows up with the John Cusack character and all these kinds of things. Then we have, um, Ray Lugoida shows up and, you know, he, he's a police officer of some sort of detective with a, a, uh, uh, um, I don't know. What is he like a, a serial killer? Like the Jake Busey character is some sort of murderer as well. Like, um, and he's transporting he him. him. Cause he says, Oh yeah. Yeah. You really sides yeah. or something, but yeah. You think that, so there's a, there's a lot of like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if they ever really tell you, you know, yeah. did he actually, I mean, you think he did, but you know, uh, um, and then I believe that they had like the cops were in the trunk or something, but you don't see that quite yet. Um, then we go through all of these people trying to hole up in this hotel, um, get out of the rain, trying to find or get an ambulance out for the woman that's hit by the car. Um, and so they try to stabilize her. Uh, Ray Lewis character tries to, um, you know, secure. Uh, Robert Maine, who's the Jake Busey character, um, to make sure that he doesn't get loose. Uh, and then we see something um, interesting, which is Ray Lewis takes off his jacket, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we see that he's got like a blood. He's he's either been shot or something along those lines. At least that's, that's what it shows to me. But I think he actually wasn't 
hurt. That was the blood from somebody else because he took their clothes. Yeah. And that is something. Yeah. So when he's securing the prisoner to the pipe Mm -hmm. on the wall, which is the stupidest thing in the world to do, why didn't he handcuff his hands to his feet around the toilet? Because then he'd have gone nowhere. I think that the reason why is because he's not actually a police officer, right? Well, Which no. we've already, I've already led to a few times. So I think I'm kind of, you know, ruining portions of the movie. I need somebody to keep me in control here. But still, <laughs> he didn't really want him to get away and then start throwing around his secret. He's my secret police. Partner. Yeah, no, but I mean, you know, he, he punches him for good measure. Maybe that will keep him That's from right. going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think... I don't know. For me, I think there's a certain level of humanity because to be handcuffed that way from your hands to your ankles, that's extremely uncomfortable, right? Mm. (laughs) And there's no telling how long. No, no. He might have like, I don't know. I think his hands might have gone numb with the cuffs like digging into them. It might have been very uncomfortable at at the very least, um, which might have been terrible. I, I could just imagine being handcuffed that way and just like wanting to probably die after like a half an hour. Um, but I don't know. I think I, I would just chalk that up to him not actually being a police officer, which is pretty, it's pretty quickly that we learn that there's something off with this guy, right? It's not, yeah. they don't keep it a secret for very long. Like Ray Liotta does play a, he does pr- play a fucking creepy guy very well. Like, yeah, and he's, and, he's and, one-liners as well, isn't he, in this film? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of comments. He's got such that intense face and those eyes, too, where it's like he... I feel like he's, like, murdering you with his eyeballs. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, everybody he looks at, he's like, you can't see it, but I'm stabbing you to death right now. <laughs> like, like, I feel like that's sort of like what he's doing, you know, and tweet that to him as well. While we're tweeting people, (laughs) (laughs) you murder me with your eyeballs. right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then he does this really creepy sort of scene with uh, Amanda Pete, where he sees her trying to get her whatever junk food out of the vending machine. And he gets even creepier. You know, staring at her and like doing his whole, uh, I mean, in this scene, he's basically like, I'm raping you with my eyes kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and it's just, it's really like gross in my it opinion. Fine, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. And they're really setting him up to be like this fucking creep and not trusting him. You don't know if you're not trusting like just a, a bad cop at this point or what is happening. Right. But you just don't trust this guy. And I think that they do that to every character to some effect. Mm-hmm. They make every, and that, that's another brilliance of the script is like they find a way to create these mini stories for everybody. Like every character in this story has such a, it seems like such a, a rich backstory. They're coming from somewhere. They're escaping from somewhere. There's, you know what I mean? Like every, every character in this movie is the lead of a neo-noir film. Um, and it would have been, you know, what would have been really great. I'm getting off the rails here, but do you remember the movie um, 13 Ghosts, the remake? Yeah. 
with Matthew Lillard and, um, and, uh, um, Tony Shalhoub. Um, God, what a great movie that was. They, they, they designed each one of those ghosts with a very rich backstory. Um, and there's this great feature on the Blu-ray or DVD, um, that sort of dives into those backstories a little bit. Um, and I'm bringing that up because I feel like they could have done that with this film as well. Cause I know that the writers did the writers. Ha- I bet you they had some pages of work that they had done to, to, to draw these characters out. Um, and I think that would have been a fantastic, um, thing to look at, um, for the, for this movie because they're so well done. Uh, and, and like I said, they're all running from something. Um, and, uh, and, and we get to see that we, we see that over the course of the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see kind of, um, a little, little bits of pieces, you know, uh, we, we get, uh, the movie actress, I guess, trying to, I can't remember what it was getting a hold of her agent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Amanda Pete's character with a box full of money. Uh, we see sort of, yeah, yeah. Like, well, where'd that come from? Like, who's she still that from kind of thing? Um, or maybe she's just been save, saving up as, you know, she's a prostitute or whatever. Who knows? Uh, wherever it came from. But, it, you know, they make they make these little ominous kind of vignettes of all these people's lives. You know, uh, Clay Duvall's character with her newly wed husband. Um, and they're not doing well. Like the, you know what I mean? There's like, they, mm. they just do it so well. Like the, all these little pieces are in some way or another relatable or at least extremely interesting to see. Um, <clears throat> and it doesn't take long before we jump into the first murder. Um, and we see, uh, Caroline Suzanne, the, the eighties actress, um, trying to find cell phone signal as she roams around the motel. Uh, and she is attacked and we don't really get to see who attacks her or what happens to her, but Ed, here's something. And the boy scout that he is, (laughs) um, and that's truly what he is in this fucking movie. This, this guy is like, he's the do-gooder. Yeah. You, You can see he's got some kind of history like he's not a happy dude, but you can tell he stands for, uh, you know, he justice. He cannot stand and, and idly by while there's an injustice going right. on around the corner. Exactly. Yeah. This this guy. He's if there's a problem, he's he's vanillaized. If there's a problem, he's gonna solve it. Right. <laughs> I can't believe I just juxtaposed John Q. Second vanillaized, but there you go. There you have it, folks. Dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> Carly's always like, who's in all eyes? Oh no, wait, he's the dude with the with the big hair. Oh shit, you don't even know. Oh my god. He's the dude with the big hair. That, that, he does a song, but I don't know what it is. Ice Ice Baby! Uh, he, he, yeah, he ripped off uh, David Bowie's under pressure, right? Oh, so he's a rip-off um, merchant. <laughs> um, anyway, <clears throat> I don't know how I managed that one. So uh, John Cusack goes and uh, fumbles around looking for clues and he finds some, finds an earring, uh, finds the laundry room uh, with the dryer running, um, finds lots and lots and lots of water and broken down spouts. He's very good at finding <laughs> um, things, isn't he? He is. And he does it fairly quickly. Yeah. Yeah. He finds um, everything. 
Yeah. And uh, so he makes his way into this laundry area where, you know, clothes are being dried, but that's not all. Um, we also get to see, uh, what, what do we see? Is it just her items or is her body in there? I can't recall. Isn't it just um, the clothes? Is it just the bloody clothes? Yeah, it might be. I think maybe it's her head because I think there was like some hair or something that we could see, but maybe they don't show it. Um, and that's, that's another great thing about this film is they don't necessarily show a lot of, um, I think they do show her head. I think her head is like cut off, uh, and it's in the dryer flipping around, but they don't, they don't necessarily show a whole hell of a lot of gore in this film, but it's enough to be like, Oh shit, this is serious kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and this is where they sort of start the end fighting. We're about 30 minutes in the movie right now. like. Um, and, and this is where people start to become worried that there's shit going on. Um, you know, uh, by the way, I, I just want to bring this up again. One of the, one of the guys in this film, I think he, he plays, uh, maybe the judge, um, also has a tie to like X-Files and Millennium, which is kind of cool. He plays, uh, he plays a character in the very final. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I'm sorry, guys, but I, you know, Millennium is such a great show. If you guys get a chance to watch it, in the final episode of Millennium, which is actually an X Files song, uh, song <laughs> X Files episode <laughs> titled right? Millennium, <laughs> right? Is an X Files episode titled Millennium that sort of puts an end to the Millennium story after it was canceled. Um, the judge that is in identity uh is plays i think plays one of the zombies or something like that he's the, the necromancer the one that yeah it's something wife. like that yeah. yeah 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 that's it yeah with, with the cell phone right <laughs> <laughs> so so i thought that was kind of cool there's a couple millennium connections in this film which is you know very cool for me um and a quick plug here if you guys have seen millennium you need to check out our documentary that we made called millennium after the millennium all right. Uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so we, we cut to a scene where they're sort of arguing about why this is happening and yada, yada, yada. Moving on. We cut back to our main story or I don't know, is it the main story? I think it is where we see most of the story where everybody starts fighting because who killed who, who, who's, you know, somebody did this and everybody starts fighting. The couple starts fighting. Everybody's fighting at this point. It's like, uh, the first Avengers movie where everybody's <laughs> fighting everybody, right? Everyone's having a squabble. <clears throat> right. And, nobody's <laughs> and, and this is where John Cusack's found everything. Right? <laughs> and, and this is where more of the brilliant screenwriting comes into play, uh, where now we're separating everybody. Now we're creating these huge opportunities for everybody to be separated and more murders to happen. Um, we've seen uh, the Jake Busey character escape uh, his poorly managed um, lockup in the bathroom. Um, he escapes and runs across to another area um, and is hiding out. And then, you know, Ray Liotta's character, I think, discovers he's missing or maybe it's John Cusack. I can't really recall, but uh, they start to wonder if it's the escaped convict and then they find him. Um, and I think he is beaten to death or 
murdered at this point? I can't remember. Carly, you help me out here. Doesn't he have a baseball bat shoved down his gob? Yeah, I think that's what it was. That's right. Yeah, I think... Uh, I so eloquently put it. Right. Um, so that tells the audience, you know, at some point that, uh, you know, it's not him. It's somebody else, obviously, right? Um, we get back to some more characters and everybody's just kind of worried. And this, this, this point is where, you know, we're really digging into the neo-noir murder mystery sort of aspects of it and the detective trying to figure things out. We learn more about the, the characters and, you know, John Cusack used to be a police officer or whatever. Maybe we learned that a little bit earlier. I can't remember. Uh, Clay Duvall's husband is killed. Um, the killer's leaving like little notes behind and uh, little clues. And there's this, there's this really cool thing that they do with the room numbers and the keys and it's so low key and doesn't, you think it's, you think it's a part of figuring out the murder mystery, right? Like these are clues being dropped that are going to lead to who the killer is. Right. But as we find out in the end of this film, that is not the case at all, but it's such a, it's such a brilliant kind of uh, clue that's being left that the screenwriter's dead that you think that this is this is leading somewhere like this is going to show us who the murderer is at some point some somewhere this is going to connect the dots um, but it just it never does in the way that you think it's going to um, so we're going to keep we're going to keep moving on uh, with these characters infighting and worried about. Um, who the killer is and people panicking and everybody starts to suspect the motel manager and he starts freaking out because he's uh, really anti, uh, I don't know. Uh, Everything? He's just, yeah. Like he's really against this uh, prostitute, the man mm -hmm. of Pete's character for some reason. Um, and that leads to him freaking out and, uh, it leads to a sort of like interesting reveal of him backing into, I guess, the kitchen area of the motel or the kitchen, something like that, and falling against the freezer door. And then another dead body pops out. And this is somebody we've never seen before. Um, and then he takes off and tries to leave. They apprehend him. Um, but in the process of that, he uh, ends up... Um, smashing his uh his uh truck into um uh john c mcginley right uh -huh. is that who he smashes into yeah yeah um and kills him so everything's getting super heavy and super dark right now we've got somebody that's been murdered we've got somebody that popped up in a freezer who we don't know and we've got another accidental death um and uh, also uh, the other character that was murdered in the hotel room. So there's there's a lot of death in this movie so far. <laughs> um, and we don't know who the hell it is. Um, oh, and the, and the convict is killed as well. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, just, there's, a lot, there's a shitload going on in this film. <clears throat> um, and uh, then there... They, they tie him up. They tie the hotel guy up. He tells his story um, about, um, you know, kind of taking over the motel. He's not the real motel manager, if I remember correctly. Um, 
And uh, Carly, remind me, was the motel manager, was he already dead when he got there or what? what yeah, was he deal? said he was already dead when he got there. And then somebody came to book a room. So he just like give him the key and then put right. the dude in the freezer just for say, when uh, his family came and then nobody ever came. Yeah. Wonderful circumstances. <laughs> um, right. And, and it leads me to like, like I'll, I'll bring it up maybe later on once we reveal the ending of this film but um there's there's a little if there was a a loose thread in the film um it would have to do with that portion but we'll get there um so we go through some more arguing and trying to figure out more of your your typical character uh development and um the characters arguing and fighting and trying to figure out who the murderer is and lots of, lots of little seeds that are placed and lots of, um, back and forth, uh, you know, of John Cusack trying to be the hero here and work things out. Then in the third act, we, something crazy starts happening and the bodies start disappearing. Um, and we don't know what, why or what happened or anything. It doesn't really reveal it, but we start to see this sort of kind of weird, I don't, I don't know what you would call a supernatural kind of feeling towards it because yeah. the bodies just disappear. They're just gone. Right. So either, you know, the guy's going Michael Myers and hiding the bodies or uh, something crazy is happening here that we don't understand. And then it gets even crazier. Then in the flashbacks or side flashes or whatever, where we're seeing the story with Pruitt Taylor Vance, all of a sudden we've got John Cusack there being interrogated by the lawyers and the judges and he's tripping out. And at this point we're sort of confused as to what's going on. And I feel like John Cusack's character is also confused, right? But this is kind of where it starts leading on as to what's happening, that this serial killer has multiple personalities. And this is where the movie starts to really pay off. Not only do you start really, really well as well, isn't it? You know, the reveal. Oh, it's it's so fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's not so fantastic, but it's quite distressing and still believable. Yeah, they could have easily screwed that up. Yeah. And they they just didn't. They did such a great job and I don't I don't know if it's the screenwriting or the director or that they just took the proper time to develop and do pre-production, but it could have very easily been screwed up. Um, and, and as we keep going after that reveal or sort of reveal, they don't fully explain it at that point, but it's like, it's alluded to. Then we start to see more of the actual, um, motel story unravel a little more where we start discovering more backstory about these characters. It's fully explained that Ray Liotta is also a convict as well as the Jake Busey's character. And it shows some flashback. It shows Amanda Pete discover, uh, their, um, uh, I don't know what you call it. Their, like their paperwork files? of their transport. Yeah. Their case files, I guess, or whatever. Um, they were being transported and they killed the, 
the cops in the car and um, Ray Liotta's character dressed up as one of the detectives and their cover story was that they were going to, he's transporting uh, the Jake Busey's character sort of thing. So, I mean, these, these backstories are, are pretty in depth and I feel like they're probably more in depth. I bet you each one of these characters have a pretty in depth, like maybe they even shot it. I don't know. Maybe the movie was too long. I, I wish that, I, I wish that that was a thing like that, that actually happened. I don't know, but that would be great. Cause I would love to see that at some point. Um, and so things start unraveling faster and faster and more characters are disappearing and uh, Ray Liotta becomes the bad guy um, and starts hunting them down. Um, and John Cusack is, you know, trying to save her basically, but he's falling apart too because he's, he's sharing two worlds now at this point, it seems. Well, he's um, effectively been told he's dead. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it, it's, it's just so well done. And well, then he ends up getting shot. Finding stuff <laughs> led to nothing, John. Right. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's weird because it, it feels like it's not in vain because he, you know, he's been trying to protect everybody. And at this point he has protected the Amanda Pete character. He's died for her essentially. Hmm. Or, you know, almost, I don't know, I guess, I guess he dies, right? At that point, he yeah. gets shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, he potentially dies for her. And then we cut back and we get to see more of um, Malcolm Rivers. And we really, we really kind of see where this is heading and where this is going. And that uh, it's almost painful for him that these characters are not characters, but these personalities in his head are essentially being killed off. Um, and, and the, the fantastic piece of this is, is that through this session of his doctor and these lawyers and the judge, um, there, it's really a psychiatry session where they're going through, um, these stories that he's telling them and, sort of weeding out these personalities and they're sitting in this room hearing these stories while we're watching it as an audience. And every time somebody is murdered or killed in the story that we're watching, it's a personality dying in his head um, to where his true self comes forward. And this is sort of the, the humanity of the film as well is like, okay, so if this person truly has multiple personalities, does he deserve to die? Was it one of these characters killing all of these people? Was it him killing all these people? Uh, did they actually cure him of all of his personalities? Who's left inside of his head? Will we ever know kind of thing? Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of topics to discuss and, and, you know, sort of explore once you get to the end of this movie that they, they sort of, they, they, they just touch upon it. Like this movie is great for discussion. Um, yeah. And in depth looks, you know, cause at this point everybody's dead except for the Amanda Pete character, um, Paris. And that's such a strange character to leave on the table. Uh, you know, for, for Malcolm being a man and, and, 
his alternate personality is Paris, this prostitute who just wants to escape and get away and live a, a better life in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. Um, and that's fun because we get to see it actually happen. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in some way, Malcolm Rivers gets to escape. I think she's kind uh, of like even if, a similar personality to his mom, isn't it? So it's like imagining if his mom had got out of their life. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even talk about the child in the movie, you know? I mean, that's a whole other, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's there. He's there for a reason, you know, that's, that's, that's Malcolm's child personality. You know what I mean? Like, it's so great, but, but uh, you know, that's, when we see her digging up the key in the end, you know, she's escaped. We're digging up the key, but we never, we never saw the child killed or, you know, any of that. So when she digs up that key and then he shows up with the little gardening spike thing. And then we start, to, we start to realize, Oh shit. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what's happening. And then we see this flashback where everybody's being murdered by the kid. And it's really like a holy shit, children of the corn kind of, oh my God, like this is his true personality. Yeah. This is who he really is. He wants to be the Paris character, but yeah, but in reality, he's this evil child. Uh And during this car ride, uh, where we see Malcolm, uh, he, it's just where, this is where his acting really like shines, you know, um, we see him struggling with these two personalities in his head. Um, and eventually the, the child in his head takes over and wins. And uh. we're actually shown basically the same story as the Ray Liotta character killing the two people transporting him and uh, him taking over. Um, and then that's where, you know, the film leaves us. Uh, and it's, it's a bittersweet sort of ending because we, you know, at some point we really wanted Malcolm to, to beat this. And I think there's that sort of sense of relief that he does when we see Paris, you know, escaping and getting away from the motel, which nobody has been able to do prior, um, and finding her little piece of happiness, which is like this orchard farmland in the middle of nowhere. Um, but what a fantastic reveal after a reveal mm-hmm. of this little boy showing back up, killing her and taking over, you know, finally taking over. So essentially his doctor did what he set out to do and sort of cleansed him of his personalities. But unfortunately, the remaining personality is a devious, murderous Psychopath. Psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this movie to me never stops surprising you like uh, right to the very end, you know, and I know a lot of people celebrate movies like seven and that's a great film as well. But um, I really think that that that's, that one is good, but I don't think it's anywhere near as, in depth as like identity is, you know, identity wasn't as big of a movie. It didn't cost as much, you know, that kind of thing. But 
the story that they're telling here, I think is just so much deeper than a movie like seven is. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd say that as well. Yeah. Um, the, you know, seven's also a great film and all, but it, it was more like, I felt like they were trying for more, more shock value than they were necessarily depth. And this movie really went into depth with all the characters. The idea of, of schizophrenia, I guess was probably, um, probably what I know it's multiple personalities, but really, um, I guess in today's world, it could be a, uh, you know, an allegory, uh, for any sort of mental health issue. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's so brilliantly done and it's really, it's just a bittersweet film. Um, cause you really want him to, to make it and survive and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, he does ultimately, but in such a horrific way. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else yeah. around him will <laughs> not for long. No, no, no. And I, I wonder where, where he goes after this, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder where he goes after this. I guess, I guess in a way, yeah, I guess in a way he could, there could be a sequel to this film, like a straight up sequel. Um, you could go one of two ways with that side of it. You know, maybe his personalities come back or he develops new personalities. Uh, or we just see him going on a murderous rampage or something like that. I mean, I feel like they, they would end up being completely different types of films. And maybe that's why they, they never were interested in making a sequel to it. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's, there's so much story in this one film. Yeah, definitely. It really annoys me when people rave about split and films like that. Oh, when this one is out there that you can watch. Yeah. You know, I, I like split. I don't have a problem with split, but it's essentially the same movie, just not done as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, th- it's not that it's not done well in and of itself. It's fine. I just, I feel like, um, what, what's the guy's name in that film? The main character, the actor. James McAvoy. James McAvoy. James McAvoy. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't particularly care for him. And I don't, I know he was praised for his role in that and his acting. I just didn't find his acting that great. Um, and I think that was part of my issue with it. Like what they did in identity is they had, they, they stacked this cast with such great actors and shown you those characters in his head. And that, Mm -hmm. that led to more great acting from different people. Like, yeah. um, Pruitt, didn't have to carry that load to the point where it was just going to come off sort of cheesy and do different voices and weird shit. Like I know that they sort of did that in this film, but it was done in a more subtler way and they used other people's voices for it opposed to like making the actor like sort of try to be a woman or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I just, I felt like it, it, yeah. it worked much better in this film. Um, and, and that's one of the major reasons why people should watch this film over split or at least watch them both, you know, make you make your decision. Uh, and, and split's cool and all. And I, I like the idea that, um, M night was, you know, continuing his story. I think that's really cool. And he did it in such a different, strange way. 
Um, and who knows, maybe this movie was an influence to that. I don't know, but, uh, yeah, this, in my opinion, this movie was definitely better than it. That was a good call though. I'm glad you brought that one up. You're welcome. All right, Carly, <laughs> shall we, um, shall we do ratings? Okay. Okay. All right. Me first. Oh man. I feel like I talked too much. Already. <laughs> I feel like everybody's going to think I talked too much already. I don't know. Guys, I'm sorry if I'm, I'm long winded. Uh, I really love this film though. And you know, take what you want from that. <clears throat> um, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to try not to talk too much on this, but I really love this film. I think it's atmospheric. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a perfect neo-noir, um, for so many different reasons, acting, cinematography, atmosphere, direction, script, everything about this movie is pretty close to being perfect. The only one, I think, string that I, that I recall anyway, the one little string that, uh, wasn't fully, um, tied up really is the original motel desk clerk guy. Yeah. We don't really, was he one of his personalities is, is his mind able to create additional characters that aren't his personality? Is that sort of like, I wonder what that sort of idea was really about. Cause everybody else in the movie is a personality in his head, mm-hmm. but to think about this story and where it starts, that person's already dead and in that freezer. So if you're thinking about a personality in his head, how did that personality die? How did that personality end up going away? Is that from previous sessions with this therapist? Is that maybe his actual original personality that's dead? Mm -hmm. Or is that his personality before something extremely tragic happened to him and has been locked away in that freezer? You know what I mean? There's like, there's a lot to, to wonder and think about. And that's the one string that wasn't tied up that I can recall. Um, but other than that, like that to me is like that, that's a positive that they didn't tie it up because it makes you think even more. Like if you really are going to analyze this film, it makes you think a lot more, um, about what, what was the intention of that? And that's a good thing to me. Um, if that was a loose string that mattered like story-wise like this movie doesn't make sense because of it then i would probably knock it down maybe maybe one gen bottle but but um it's not you know what i mean i think it's there and i think maybe the writers probably know um i don't think it's there just just to be a surprise twist because it is a surprise twist but i think it's more than that like you're talking about the shoe uh, and things like that. Like it's all connected in some way. We might not fully see it. And that could be because of editing or, you know, the movie has to be coming at a certain time or they wanted you to think. Um, so I just like to think that they want you to think because we need more of that. I think in movies. So, um, so many times I give then. it, Think, 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 think. Yeah. It was like <laughs> Winnie <that>. the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> think, 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 think. <laughs> <laughs> Jason the Pooh. <laughs> oh no, there you go. Oh, yeah. yeah, so 10 gin bottles out of 10 for me. It's just an excellent film all the way around. I love this. It's a fan I because I love noir. It's a fantastic neo-noir film. Um and 
it's in my top 10 films. I always talk about identity to everybody when anybody like will ask, like, what kind of movies do you like? Have you seen identity? You know what I mean? Like this, this is just, I love this film. It's just got such a sweet spot for me. Um, love the cast, love the direction, everything about it. So there you go. I, I think I promised I wasn't gonna be long winded with that. I couldn't help it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> talk too much. <laughs> you just love this film. I really do. Your it's turn. My, your turn. You're up. Batter, 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 batter. It's in my top five. Oh, yes. I really I love like it. it, too. I love it. Yeah, I really like it, too. Very cool. Um, That's why we get along, you know? <laughs> Most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised it didn't star, uh, um, uh, what's his name, you know? doesn't have Keanu Reeves in it. It doesn't have, uh, can't think of his name right now, but you could, know. could be one of numerous amounts of people. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge John Cusack fan though. I, I love I him. Like I don't John care Cusack. what it is. Go oh, good. Cause I, I fuck, I love that dude. Yeah. Even I when he does like the him. stupid Hollywood films, like I still watch it. He's just fucking highly watchable to me. Yeah. Like anything he's in, he's just, I just, I mean, even from back in the day, was it pretty in pink or whatever? Uh, so, yeah. whatever, you know, the John Hughes movies, uh, I just, God, he's just, he's, he's just great, man. 1408. I love, I love all the, all the shit that he's in. Even like cell. Him. Everybody fucking hates cell, but I still like it. So yeah, whatever. But he's one of them yeah. where I would just pick a, I would just literally pick a film up off the shelf. You know, if you were walking to a video shop or mm-hmm. something, I'll just, oh, I'll buy that seven quid. I'll have that just yeah. because John Cusack's yeah. in it. Cause even if the Absolutely. Film's shit, Same here. he's going to be good. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like Lance Henriksen. If he's anything he's in, even if the movie's bad, he makes it that much better. Yeah. You know. And and I think John Cusack might have a soft spot for noir or neo noir kind of stuff because he's in several uh neo noir type movies. Um and so that's that's fucking great for me. Like I I love that. So I, I I think he's great for those. He's just got that movies, kind of know? face and just the way that he is. Mm-hmm. He is a film noir character, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he really is. Yep. Do you know so, what else I like as well? I really like Amanda Peet. And I don't like female I'm, actresses. I don't like women, but I like her a lot. I, yeah, I, I really think that I like her in this movie quite a bit, but I don't always like her in everything. Like for some reason. Oh, another X-Files Millennium Connection. <laughs> the, uh, the second X-Files movie she's in, right? Yeah, she's, um, which yeah, is, she's his partner. She's the, the cop yeah. investigator, the FBI one investigating Billy Connolly, isn't she? Yeah. And, and that movie is very millennial. Like if you've seen Millennium, like that movie should have been a Millennium movie, in my opinion. Um, but Amanda Peet's in that and she dies a horrible death in that film. But um, I didn't really care for her in that movie. Did you watch the... And I don't... Is it Betty? Oh, Betty... Broderick? Matthew Broderick? Uh, no. Have you seen that TV series on Netflix? Uh, Eric Banner was in the first series. John Doe or John Dirty John? Might be Dirty John. Oh, no, I haven't, but I, um, I it's on my radar. So Eric Banner's in the first series and then she... This is, this is a... This is a TV show that is scripted that's based on something that actually happened, right? Yeah. Okay, because the podcast is like a true crime podcast, correct? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, it's such a weird dynamic because they're actually making a scripted show based on a podcast, but it's not like a, it's not like a, what do you call those? Like uh, when they do like an OJ Simpson like movie or something, you know, it's just different than that, correct? Like true life. Yeah. Yeah, like a true life drama, I guess. I don't know, whatever. But anyways, it's it's been on my radar. I haven't watched it yet. Um, well, she's so in, what was she about was it? She's, she's in the second series? Yeah, she was really good. I mean, the first series was good, but she was really, really good in the second. I can't remember cool. the character. Yeah. I think it's, I'm sure it's Betty. Betty, Betty Broderick. I might be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out though, because that's it's on my list of things to watch. Um, I I wanted to listen to the podcast first, so I kind of knew what was going on or what it was about, but I haven't. But I just I've heard people talk about it on other podcasts that I listen to, Mm. Um, and then I had found out there was a TV show. I had no idea that they already had a second season, though. I thought it was a fairly new show, but I guess not. Is it coming back for a third, or are they done with the second season? Oh yeah. I think the second okay. series is fairly recent. Okay, cool. Good stuff. All right, so I don't think you've actually rated this movie. You just said it was in your top five. Sorry. Uh, went off on a little tangent there. Uh, Eric Banner's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet him as well. Tell him oh, it's his fault. The Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> uh, I, would, I clearly would give it a 10. 10 million gins. Good. 10 million, yeah. Yep. Awesome. That makes me very happy. Makes me super happy. This is comagin quality. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about the film? Favorite thing about ooh. I don't I think it's John I don't know if it's John Cusack and his endless like musings of being a film noir character. No, because he's like he's like a film noir character in a film. Do you know what? It's it like he's been pulled from another film noir and just like dropped in this motel. And it works. And that's the weird thing. It's not like you, you can't say that in a bad way. It's like no. it's just perfect. Because my like I just team. when I picture him now, I picture John Cusack at a motel in the rain. Yeah. That's like my image Drinking of the dude <laughs> at the end of the day. Right. My favorite scene is when he's photographing the crime scene. Just, yeah, well, I have blackouts. Someone leapt off off a bridge, didn't save him. You can just imagine the scene. He needs a cigarette and like a fedora and a shadow. Yeah. And I think this was a time, um, early 2000s, where the whole anti-cigarette in films and TV started happening. Mm. And there was a lot less of that kind of stuff going on and you know so i i feel i think there might be some cigarette smoking in this film but i i feel like you would have seen a hell of a lot more of it mm-hmm. if that wasn't sort of like happening because it's it's just right for it. it's like the perfect film for that kind of thing but um all right i think that's awesome i think we i'm so happy that we fully agree on this film mm-hmm. like i don't think uh yeah I think that's amazing. So folks out there, um, if you haven't seen Identity, please go watch it. It's it's amazing. You're going to love it if you love neo-noir. You're going to love it if you like slasher films. You're going to love it if you like serial killer films. You're going to love it if you like John Cusack or Amanda Peet or Ray Liotta um, or like, you know, 
I love everybody in this film. Pruitt Taylor Vence is just, he's, he's great. I really wish that he, uh, got more heat on him, you know, but, um, yeah, just, just check this film out. It's just fantastic. And, um, tell us what you think. We would love to hear what you guys think about it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, stick around for, I don't know, the next episode of Speakeasy Noircast, I guess. All right, guys. Enjoy your serial killer. Bye-bye. He's looking at you, kid. Thanks for joining us this week on the Speakeasy Noircast. Make sure to visit our website, resurrectionfilms.net, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or any of your favorite podcast apps so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, The Dark Side of Acting Up and The Dark Side of Acting Up Volume 2, now available on Amazon. Or you can check out one of our films, also available on Amazon Prime. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Speakeasy Noircast.